good day and welcome to the FIFA World Cup show for today Saturday the 18th of June 2022 wherever you are listening to this episode from whether you are in the USA on the African continent North America, South America, Asia, Europe, and Oceania. Welcome to the most exciting, informative, and educative sports show on the calling platform with yours truly, Philip Alimo. And I've got immense love for sports and undoubtedly the greatest competition on earth, the FIFA World Cup. Wherever you are, you are tuning in and joining us for this episode, sit back, relax, and enjoy. But as you're getting ready to enjoy this episode, don't forget to share the link with your friends, family, and loved ones to download the calling app. It's available on Android, on iOS, and also on the internet. And to subscribe to the FIFA World Cup show. On today's episode... We will be looking at the 2026 FIFA World Cup host cities and what the World Cup means for Canada, Mexico, USA, and the growth of football in the entire CONCACAF region. And with me today in the studios to do the discussion is an accomplished football and sports journalist who has lived the World Cup literally through the years from 1994 all the way till today and it's no better person to give us the in-depth analysis of what the 2026 world cup in the host cities means for the growth of football in the CONCACAF region and he's no other person than mr benga and uh, just before uh, mr benga will be joining us on the line i would give a brief introduction on the host cities and i'll come back to mr benga in the studio to get his reactions. FIFA announced the 16 host cities for the 2026 FIFA World Cup, selecting 11 cities in the United States, three cities in Mexico, and two cities in Canada. For the second time ever and first since 1994, the World Cup will be played in the US with the following cities selected as the host, Atlanta, Georgia, Boston, Massachusetts, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas, Kansas City, Los Angeles, California, Miami, Florida, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, and Pennsylvania, and San Francisco Bay Area, California, and Seattle, and Washington. History will be made with Mexico hosting matches in 2026 as it becomes the first country to host three different FIFA World Cups having previously hosted in 1970 and 1986. Guadalajara, Monterrey, and Mexico City will serve as Mexico's host cities in 2026. Canada will host the World Cup for the first time, with matches scheduled to be played in the following cities, Vancouver, British Columbia, and Toronto, Ontario. 
the 2026 FIFA World Cup marks the fourth time that the World Cup will be played in the CONCACAF region and will be the first time that the tournament features 48 teams. Mr. Benga, welcome to today's episode. Please unmute your mic and uh, you can, you can, we can have the conversation. Yes. Hello, my brother, Philip. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be on your show today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I'm sure yes. my audience are also relishing the opportunity to have you share your experience and your journey of the FIFA World Cup through your eyes as an experienced uh, uh, sports journalist. So walk us through uh, what it's been like uh, for the USA hosting the World Cup in 1994? It was, uh, first of all, when the rights to host the World Cup came around 1989. I remember USA was at the World Cup in 1990 in Italy, which was the first time they were in the World Cup since 1950 when Brazil hosted it. So it was very important for them to be at the World Cup in Italian 19, even though they didn't, of course, win any matches and everything. But they had to pretty much use that as a template and as a platform to launch and prepare for the World Cup, which came to the States. So it was uh, pretty much an historic occasion, a, a historical moment uh, for the fans, for the lovers of football, and what soccer means to the United States. Going back to that time, and, and, and in the many years that followed. So it was a historic moment when the World Cup came to the States here in 1994. Definitely, it was an historic moment when the World Cup came to the U.S. in 1994. Um, at the time, can you walk us through the euphoria that came with the U.S.A. 94 across the various cities and, uh, uh, and the experience, what it was like for you as, as a journalist at the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, there were there were different cities that were picked throughout the uh, United States, which hosted the games in '94: Foxborough, Chicago, uh, Detroit, Michigan, the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles, California, the New York, New Jersey, the Meadowlands, Citrus Bowl in Orlando, um, Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, uh, Palo Alto, which is the Stanford Stadium. And also to uh, the venue too in Washington D.C. So these were the venues where a lot of the matches were played. And what was so unique and very special about the World Cup was that the World Cup in '94 was clustered. The games were clustered based on regional because being the United States is very big, 50 countries, 50 states. So moving around was going to be a logistical nightmare. So the thing was to keep a lot of teams centrally located in the area. I will give you an example. When Italy and Ireland played their very first match at the Giant Stadium in Meadowlands was on a Saturday. Tickets were sold out. Ireland upset Italy 1-0 in that day. What was so unique about that game was the large community of the Irish and Italian community in the New York, New Jersey area. It was a sight to behold. I, 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 I mean, everything you could ask for in a football match on and off the field was what that game was about and everything. So those were the excitements that came from the World Cup being in the States. Yes. The U.S. holds the record for the most spectator, spectators and uh, in terms of attendance in the history of the World Cup. And uh, I want to share that with our audience. In 1994, 
the 52 games was played in total, and the total attendance for the World Cup in the US was 3.6 million. 2014 World Cup at 3.4 million uh, with a total of 64 games. 2006 World Cup, 3.4 million people, also 64 games. 2010, 3.2 million people, 64 games. This time, the World Cup has been upgraded to 48 teams. And the U.S. hosted the World Cup many years ago in 1994. But to put into perspective, they still hold the record till date. Uh, Mr. Benga, for the purposes of my audience who don't really understand what the terrain is like in the U.S., some will say that soccer is not the most popular sport in the U.S., and the NFL, the NBA is popular. So why would the World Cup attract such a huge attention? And why should the U.S. Uh, have the opportunity to host the World Cup again? Can you walk our audience through what it means like and why there's so much euphoria anytime the U.S. hosts the World Cup? Sure, definitely. Um, actually, going back to before pre-World Cup 94, Soccer has always been very big in the United States. Because remember, to the U.S. when the World Cup in 1915 Brazil, when they upset England 1-0, which is still uh, one, of the, one of the major upsets in World Cup history. And if you look in depth into the U.S. soccer program in the, in the state, in the colleges, in the high school, in regional areas, it has always been very popular, but national team-wise haven't been able to do well. Because remember, since 1950, they were out of the World Cup for a good 40 years until they qualified. What has happened is that when um, legendary players like Pelé, uh, Franz Beckenbauer, Johan Cruyff, when they retired actively from international football, they came to the States to play in the NASLE, NASLE throughout the mid part of the 70s into the early part of the 80s. And these were games that were played across different cities in the U.S., at the Meadowlands, in Chicago, San Francisco, California, everywhere and all that, and there were large spectators, large following, and everything, because a lot of people recognized them from the international tournaments, from when Germany won the World Cup in 1974, from when Pelé won the World Cup in 1970, when Holland got to back-to-back finals in 74 and 78 in Germany and in Argentina. So a lot of those players came to the U.S., similar to like what you see with the MLS now, where a lot of excellent, a lot of former international players are coming to the MLS to play. It was the same thing like that, almost... 20 plus years ago. So soccer has always had that big following. But what made World Cup 94 very special that it elevated it to a whole new status at a whole new level. And it wasn't surprising that fans, those numbers that you quoted, it wasn't surprising that fans came to watch those games. But the good thing about in the US is that if there's a major event in the summertime, stadiums will be packed. No matter what the event, whether they even know about the countries or the players, or just tell any U.S. or American citizens, this is going to be an exciting event. You need to be there. They will show up. So I'm not surprised in that those numbers that you quoted, uh, I think still the highest numbers of fans attended worldwide. And with the World Cup coming back again in three countries, I expect it to talk. If they don't get up to 7, 8 million, then, then it's likely something is wrong. If I see them to break those numbers two, three times more, 
because of the level of attendance. And the good thing that also makes Cooper 24 very special too, that the games are busted, which means that teams don't have to be traveling like they had in Germany, South Korea, in other places. A lot of countries are centrally located in one area and played at least two or three of their matches at the same venue. So that really helped a lot. And uh, Gianni Infantino has been speaking about the U.S. Uh, hosting the 2026 World Cup North Amer- and, the, and the World Cup generally in North America. Let's hear from Gianni Infantino and also the president of CONCACAF, Victor. And I'll come back to, uh, to you, Mr. Benga, and get your reaction of what Mr. Gianni Infantino said at the press conference. All right. Exactly. 2026 will be I, I think uh, part of the world doesn't realize these three countries will side down and then flip again back. Uh, the world will be invading uh, Canada, the United States, and uh, they will be invaded by uh, end of happiness because bringing together and uh, in this part of the world we have half a billion people living and this half a billion, probably half a billion, has some origins of somewhere and uh, with 48 countries coming and playing this will be amazing and uh, the level or soccer will have here in North America by that time and at the latest with that World Cup level. What I say many times, I want to say it here again, is this part of the world, these three countries, from, from many uh, points of view, uh, you are leading the world in many areas. But in the number one sport in the world, which is soccer or football, uh, you're not yet. And the objective must be that you will be leading the world as well, in the world's number one. Well, it goes without saying. I mean, we're both sons of immigrants, right? Um, uh, me in North America, Johnny in Switzerland, and football probably is what linked us to our fathers more than anything else. Um, and uh, so it's it's also for me a very emotional um, process. It's been bringing the World Cup to first my own country in Canada, and then my region here. Um, you know, it, it means this trophy here uh, means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, obviously, for the winners, it means a lot, but it has a special meaning for many people in the world. And uh, and we can link a lot of our memories in our lives, whether it's a game, whether it's uh, a player that you loved um, watching, uh, whether being at the World Cup itself and experience it as a fan, um, because not many of us get to experience it as a player, although we're probably all legends in our own mind as football. Uh, so for, for us, it's uh, obviously a momentous occasion for our region and for the three countries. I think it will be a watershed moment for the sport. I think the FIFA president already let out the secret that our, this sport will become the number one sport uh, in uh, North America. And uh, I know there's, uh, you know, it was giggles and laughs, but uh, I know myself, but I know this guy as well. He wasn't joking. <laughs> Uh, and um, and I think uh, obviously the World Cup will mean a lot to a lot uh, as we move forward past the next World Cup. Let's not forget, which will be a great event in Doha and our friends in Qatar. And uh, but as soon as that last ball uh, is uh, or that final whistle happens on December 19th, the focus will be here to this beautiful thing coming to uh, North America. Well, these are all uh, uh, reflections which uh, which we will have definitely from now on until uh, the World Cup takes takes place. I mean, of 
course before that when we design um, the calendar, when we design the, when we decide on the kickoff times, when we look at the different uh, schedules. I mean, one other element which is not linked with the weather, but linked with uh, the teams and the fans, of course, in, in, in such a big region like uh, North America, we need to care about that in particular to make sure that the teams are playing in, in clusters, that the fans don't have to travel uh, crazy distances uh, and the teams uh, as well. And when we look at that, we have, of course, to take into account uh, the weather conditions, the stadiums, those who have a roof, those who are closed, where you maybe can play uh, earlier in the afternoon, uh, and those where you have to play in the evening. But then there are many factors that, uh, that we have to take into account, uh, but we are, how should I say, pretty uh, relaxed uh, that with the choice that uh, was made on these 16 cities, we have really the best ones and would put up a fantastic World Cup. Today, um, a World Cup has 64 matches. Uh, we often say it's uh, like 64 Super Bowls in terms of audience, right? Uh, the World Cup 26 has uh, 80 Super Bowls, uh, 80 incredible games, 80 finals and we must make sure that they are placed in the best conditions in every city. So that is Gianni Infantino and Victor, the president of the CONCACAF region, speaking in that press conference. And uh, Benga, can you give me your reaction to Gianni Infantino's statements and then Victor's statement at the press conference? Yes, thank you, uh, Philip. Yes, uh, the statements are right. Um, very accurate in terms of uh, the World Cup coming to the States, 48 countries, and not just the States. Of course, we have to include Mexico, we have to include Canada, and what football means to the region, the fans, and all. So, because as I said, football is life. So his comments are very accurate, and I wouldn't say the game is still continuing to grow. It's, like I said, World Cup 94 did a lot to the image of the game. And it can only get better from there with 48 countries coming to play across three different countries too at the same time. Yes. And also to the statement from Mr. Victor Montagliani, I forgot his last name right. Same thing too. Just what it means for the fans, for the fans coming in. And it will be a continuation from where everything's left off in 1994. That was a very successful walker in ticket sales and everything. So it's a continuation of that. Definitely. And uh, speaking of continuation, I want us to take each um, venue and then you give us a brief uh, information on the venue and what to expect for the purposes of my audience uh, who have okay, never sure. been to the U.S. before. So uh, for New York uh, and New Jersey, the MetLife Stadium uh, will be uh, hosting the games in these two cities. Can you walk us through what it is like in New York and New Jersey and what is the distance between these two cities? Um, it's right next door. It's, um, that same venue was the host of World Cup 94 too. So we weren't surprised when they picked the same venue again. Uh, New York is actually very close to New Jersey. It's just the Hudson River that divides the two cities, the two cities and the two states and everything and all. And and everything. So it's just a river away. If there's usually no traffic and everything, you can get there within 10, at least at most 20, 25, 30 minutes. 
So it's very close to proximity because being that New York City doesn't have an active football stadium, apart from the baseball stadiums we have, which is the Yankees and the Mets and everything. So the real specific soccer stadium is the one that's in the Meadowlands, which is the MetLife Stadium. So it's very close by, logistically friendly, and pretty much they're going to do the same thing as they did in World Cup 94 too. So there won't be any issues getting in there. And you can't have awesome. games in New Jersey without, without New York being involved. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So for Boston, we have the Gillette Stadium also. What is this like? What is it like in terms of Boston, the economic sphere, and also what it is like with sport, the sporting atmosphere in the city? Yes. Boston was also too. Foxborough Stadium. It was called Foxborough Stadium. Night Gillette Stadium. It was also a venue for World Cup 94. That was when Nigeria played a lot of their matches before we lost to Italy in the, in the second round in 1994. That's where the New England Patriots play and also to the New England Revolution. Uh, Boston is also one of the very expensive cream de la cream cities in the U.S. So it's a city with money, with wealth, but also too, it's one of the major sports towns too in the entire country. As you know, the legendary basketball team, the Boston Celtics, the Boston Bruins, the hockey team, the New England Patriots. They have a big, very big college football program, everything and all that. So Boston is up there when it comes to one of the many sports cities in the world. No, cities in the United States and everything. And there's a distance between the city of Boston and Foxborough because it's not that far. But Foxborough is like on the outskirts of town. But it's still within the greater Boston area and everything. So it's just... Like I said, usually a lot of these things depend on traffic, but at most, I was out there too, walk up 94. But um, 20, 25, 20, 25 minutes from downtown Boston, you're there. Awesome. And uh, Los Angeles, uh, will, uh, the Sophie Stadium, will, will play host to the games in Los Angeles. And uh, can you give us a graphic image of also what it is like uh, and what to expect in L.A.? LA too, we were not surprised when they picked Los Angeles because, as you remember, Los Angeles, Rose Bowl Pasadena was the final of the 94 where Brazil and Italy played. And I think that stadium back then held, held like 94, 95,000. So this stadium, the SoFi Stadium, is where the Los Angeles Rams plays. Um, in an expanded capacity, it can hold 100,000, which will kind of similar to like, a, like the concert they do at Wembley where pretty much everybody's standing. But of course, you're not going to have that or soccer or football match. So the stadium is newly built. It has a state-of-the-art amenities, facilities, name it, it has it, and all that. But there was an issue, there's a, an issue with the stadium, which I know will be amended, which is like trying to expand the field a little bit, a little bit more so it can match the appropriate size that you have for soccer pitches. So that was the only issue and all that. But in all the big cities that they mentioned, they had to pick Los Angeles. Except that this time they didn't pick the Rose Bowl. Wow. Yes. Wow. And uh, uh, the Lincoln Financial Field will be playing host to the games in Philadelphia. And what yes. should we expect in Philadelphia? Yes, the stadium is in downtown Philly, very accessible by train. Um, it's where the Philadelphia Eagles play. And the good thing about that arena is that also to the baseball team, the baseball team and the basketball team are all in within the same complex. So the baseball team, the basketball team, and the Lincoln Field are just right next to one another. So it's very easily accessible. It's easy 
first in New York or New Jersey because Philadelphia is considered a tri-state area. From New York to Philly, if you there's no traffic on the turnpike, you can get there within under an hour and a half. And every uh, the AT and T Stadium would also be hosting the games in Dallas and in San Francisco Bay Area, the Levy Stadium. Uh, walk us through what to expect in these two venues. Okay, this was also too. The two cities too were picked from Walk Up 94, except that the locations are going to be different around. In Walk Up 94, um, in Dallas, it was at the Cotton Bowl. That was where Nigeria and Bulgaria played. That was where we played our first match against Bulgaria, which we won 3-0. But this time around, they're going to be using the AT&T Stadium, which is the home of the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, also, too, is a very, I think the stadium costs around a billion or something around that. But it's one of the state of the art, one of the best facility stadiums in the country. I also hear, I haven't been there yet, but from what I've read, it's air-conditioned. And we just recently played Mexico there in a friendly match, like a week or so ago, which we lost 2-1 and everything. So it's uh, accessibility to the stadium, too, very good, driving, public transportation. I won't say public transportation, but there won't be any issues getting there. But it's one of the top stadiums in the country right now, at the moment. Then also wow. to the Levi Stadium, too, is also to the home of the San Francisco 49ers. In World Cup 94, they used the Stanford Stadium, which was owned by the University of Stanford. University of Stanford in Palo Alto. That was where Brazil Brazil was camped in the California area throughout the World Cup finals. And that was actually where they played USA, played Sweden, before they went on to play in Los Angeles. So I wasn't surprised that those two venues were picked again. And... Um... The Hard Rock Stadium would play host to the games in Miami. The Mercedes-Benz Stadium would also play host to the game in Atlanta. And what should we expect uh, in, from these two venues? And what are the differences and similarities from these venues? Venues. I'll start with the Hard Rock. Uh, as you know, Orlando was a venue in uh, Walk of 94. Orlando, where it was very hot. Um, Weathers were clocking around almost 90, 95, 97 degrees. But this time around, they're picking Miami and everything. It's going to be a lot of excitement. There's a large Cuban, South American, Latin community in the Florida area, in the Miami area. So you're going to see a lot of fan-following teams. And also, too, from Miami to South America, too, it's just, I think, less than five, six hours at most. So for fans traveling from South America to Miami... The venue, the locations, everything and all. It's a perfect spot. Again, like I said, Florida was a venue in 94, except this time around, it's, it goes from Orlando to Miami now. Wow. And uh, the Lumen Field. Yes, let me talk about the, the Atlanta, Atlanta too. Atlanta is a new, is a, out of all those venues that you mentioned, Atlanta is one of the newer venues for this World Cup coming up in 2016. Oh, that's impressive. And is, yeah, uh, the, yes. does it host any yes. of the MLS games? Uh, Atlanta Stadium is where the Atlanta, the DC, the Atlanta United plays. Yes. So they're going to use that t- the stadium too, where the Atlanta United plays. So they're going to be using their stadium. It's a new venue. Soccer is very big in Atlanta for as many years as possible. And remember, too, in 96, that was when Nigeria won their gold medal. When we beat Brazil and Argentina in the final at the, in Georgia at the University of Athens. So Atlanta, through the years, too, has been building a 
program and with the MLS team now. I think they won the MLS Cup too a year or a few years ago. So and everything. So it's an it's one of the interesting venues that was picked for, that for is, this World Cup. Yeah. That is that is very interesting. And then the Lumen Field would host the game in Seattle, and then the NRG Stadium would also host the game in Houston. And uh, give us a bit of background about these venues as well. Exactly. It's um, the Lumen Field, which is in Seattle. That's called the Pacific Northwest Area. Um, in World Cup 94, apart from San Francisco and Los Angeles, no other area was picked. But after, right, after those two events and the emergence of MLS, remember you have two teams there, the Seattle Sounders and the Portland Timbers. And soccer, too, is also very big in the Pacific Northwest, in that part of the U.S., which borders into Vancouver. So it's going to do very well since Lockdown, and all across which is next door, which is kind of like maybe less than 20, 25 minutes flight from Seattle to Vancouver. Because remember, too, Vancouver was picked as a venue. So logistically, too, it works very well for any team that's based in Vancouver, and that's going to play in Seattle, or teams in playing in Seattle, they're going to play in Vancouver. It's a very logistically friendly location for them. And football, too, is big in that part of the country. Yes. Awesome. I was just about asking you the proximity of the locations uh, between uh, the cities in Canada and the U.S., and you just answered, you just answered that literally that uh, Vancouver oh, is, is, close, is close to Seattle. So Arkansas right City... Door. Uh, yes. uh, the stadium, uh, the Arrowhead Stadium, will play host to the game in Arkansas City. And uh, what is it like, and what should we expect in Arkansas? Yes, Kansas. Uh, Kansas has a very interesting story when it comes to football and soccer, going back to almost maybe the late 1800s into the early 1900s. Um, the Arrowhead Stadium is where the Kansas City Chiefs play. The owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, Lamar Hunt has been one of the pioneers of soccer in America, going back to the early 1900s. In fact, the U.S. Open Cup used to be called the Lamont Hunt Trophy before they changed the name. And they have invested in soccer. In fact, they were one of the founding members of the MLS. They actually one of the founding members of the Columbus Crew, San Jose Earthquakes, Kansas City Chiefs. Every venture in sports, they've pretty much been involved in it over the last 1890, I probably even say 90 years. And everything, and also to the venue in Kansas. We lost you briefly. Okay, so maybe it's a signal. Yeah. Okay, so uh, if you can walk us through the latter part of your statements for the purposes of our audience to have clarity. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I said Kansas City. Uh, yes, Kansas City has been one of the. When it comes to the emergence of soccer in America, going back to 80, 90 years, Kansas City has played a role in, in terms of football being to where it is today. And the owners of Kansas City Chiefs, the Lamahon family, have played a pivotal role in terms of developing soccer, sports in general, NFL football, AFL, everything and all that too. So, and it's not surprising that it's one of the, also to the newer venues that was picked because nothing was picked for World Cup 94. And also, too, it puts the games in what we call Middle America. And you get to have a game in pretty much the central part of the country. Wow, wow. That's, that's yes. beautiful. And uh, the Guadalajara Stadium 
the Guadalajara City in Mexico will be playing host to the game and the Estadio Akron is the stadium in that city and the Montero the City also will play host to the games at the Estadio BBVA Bancuma Stadium. Can you walk us through what to expect in these venues in Mexico? Yes, as you know, Mexico is legendary. Historic is legendary. Just uh, 2026, we get after in 1970 and in 1986. So a lot of the venues, uh, as you know about the legendary Azteca Stadium in Mexico City, host of many epic, great matches, I mean, memorable games, and Guadalajara. So it's just pretty much an occupation for them because uh, a lot of the, the venues, Guadalajara and Azteca, were also two venues for them in 86 World Cup. In 70 and 86 World Cup. So for them, it's just to fine tune, activate, and get the games going. And everything. And Mexico, too, the passion. I've been out there before. The passion for football, the passion, as you can see, when the national team is playing. And Azteca Stadium holds 120,000. It's one of the largest sitting capacity stadiums in the world. Almost very equal there with Barcelona, with No Camp, and some maybe other venues. But it holds 110, 120 max. And when the national team is playing, the whole country shuts down. So their experience of just hosting World Cups alone will, will, will bring them dividends when the game comes around. And uh, speaking of dividends, uh, this particular World Cup in 2026 would have an increased number of participating teams from the current 32 to 48 teams. And uh, this brings me to my question. Uh, do you think... African World Cup qualification is quite difficult and therefore deserve more representative at the Men's World Cup. I think, I would say I think, I think it does. African football, African football has come of age since 1970 and to where things are today. Um, from when Morocco played, DR Congo, Zaire at that time, Tunisia, Cameroon, Algeria, Morocco and uh, Algeria, in Cameroon's performance and everything. So African football has come up late. Because remember, too, we're one of the largest voting blocks in the entire FIFA confederations. And, of course, the slots are going to go from, I think, nine slots from six to nine, five to nine this time around. But I think more slots should be available. And, and even though they're trying to base it on performance, I think we've just provided enough to and everything. And for the, as for the qualification, um, yes, it is very tough, but what's also super unique about the qualification in the last few years is that every country too has become very competitive now. Every country, the days of where you go, um, you play a home match, you trash a team 4-0, you go to their country, you beat them 5-0, as we all know, those days are over and everything. So every country is competitive now because of the African Cup of Nations, the qualifiers. Back in the days, only very few top countries were playing, apart from Nigeria, Ghana, Cameroon. Some countries have gone a year or two without playing a match, but we don't see that anymore. So even when they don't qualify for these tournaments, but they're very competitive, they'll give you a run for their money and everything. So it's very important to have the best countries represent us at this World Cup, nine countries and everything. 
but at the same time also too it has become very competitive so and talking of good. competition talking of competition um africa since the 92 year history of the world cup we've only gotten to the quarterfinals cameroon did it in 1990 senegal did it in 2002 and the black stars of ghana did it in 2010 when the world cup was hosted on the african soil do you think an african country can ever win the world cup yes it is possible yes they can if we just um you see when you play in the group stages it's always like ah you can win but when you get to the knockout stage it's a whole new level where winning becomes the only thing and the only thing and that's the level that we have to cross that level that we have to achieve Cameroon had glimpse of it in the entire 90. It hasn't been the same since. Senegal too tried. Blasters too Ghana. If it wasn't for that, we didn't oh, okay. hear the last the last part of your oh. of your statement. Oh, okay. Yes, I said that the World Cup. Yes, that it's African countries can do very very well, but doing very well in the World Cup requires a whole new level, and a whole new level comes with doing well on the field, off the field, team organization putting things in place. Yes, the ball bounces here, the ball bounces there, and everything. But when you put the right structure and the winning mentality into place, yes, winning is not a problem. Yes. And um, speaking of winning, uh, do you think um, African football is at the level where it is now that it can be compared to the level it is on other continents, say, for example, in the CONCACAF region, the, in terms of exposure and the level of competition of the games on, the, on both continents and across the other three, four continents as well? Yes, African football has come of age and it has done very well in terms of the tournament. Remember, Africa... Remember, it was only 19, after Egypt in 1934. We were out of the World Cup for almost a good 40 plus years before Morocco made it to the 1970 World Cup in, in Mexico. And we only won our first match in the World Cup in 78 when Tunisia beat, uh, I think, what, Mexico 3 1 in the 78 World Cup, which is when African teams started winning matches. And we saw what Cameroon and Algeria did in the 1982 World Cup. Morocco, too, in 1986, Algeria was there. And in the entire 92, and World Cup 94, too, with Nigeria, Morocco, and uh, I think Tunisia was there, too, the other country. So it's, it's, um, it's getting there. It's getting there. But we have to have the right mentality, the right approach, the right organization. Everything has to be clicking. Everything has to be in place. Because too many times, we do well in one tournament. We come back four years later. We're like, uh, like, wow, what happened to this team three, four years ago? So a lot of these things have to be fixed. But we're getting there. We're getting there. And we have to also hold the elected um, the football officials off the field accountable that the team's success or failure is going to fall on their head if things don't go very well. So we can, make, we, we can do it. We can do awesome. it. Awesome. Awesome. I would, at this point, give my audience... The opportunity to ask a question and uh, Justin if you're with us if you can call in and ask your question yes Justin thank you for joining us um hello Benga hello Justin how are you very well 
I'm fine, thank you. Um, I hope you are doing good. Too. Uh, so, very well. Well, well, with with um with with this 2026 World Cup happening quite soon for me, I'm 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 a very big lover of American football and American sports um, going on now. And I was I, I wanted to ask you just two questions. So sure. looking at looking at the stadium where the last Super Bowl was played as the SoFi Stadium, the home of the LA Rams. Um, during the final, um, the wide receiver of the LA Rams, um, Odell Beckham Jr. had an injury and this um, reignited a conversation about the artificial pitches that are being used during the NFL seasons. And, um, and I was wondering if, um, if for the World Cup... Um, these are these are the artificial pitches that are going to be, or they are they are. Would they use artificial pitches during the World Cup, or they will tend to using, they they will tend to using um natural pitches because it was it was it was apparent that the artificial pitches had an impact on how the players moved. Um, the last NFL season resulted into a number of ACL um, injuries. Yes, thank you, my brother uh, Justin. Uh well, I'll go back to World Cup 94 when a lot of these venues were picked as sites for the games. A lot, a lot of the, since that they're very football specific stadiums, there were a lot of artificial pitch, uh, pitches. But FIFA demanded that all the pitches be changed to natural grass for football players and everything. So a lot of these things are going to take place. Yeah, exactly. SoFi Stadium, where the LA Rams play and everything, they're going to move, they're going to change the pitch from artificial to regular grass and field. We should be conducive for the players, for the team. Because injuries, everything, all these things are factored in. And you don't want players, 48 countries, half of the players getting injured before you even get to the second round and all that. And being that LA is also one of the very key pivotal venue for the for this World Cup in 2026. So everything is going to be done accordingly, according to plan, just to making sure everything is right for the players and everything. So, yeah, they're going to definitely, not only have to, they're going to change all that. It's a must. Okay. Um, and for my second question, um, looking at the venues, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, the Arrowhead, which is which is quite which is quite um, very very big and actually loud during the NFL season. Jim Jim Jerry Jones' Stadium, the AT&T in Dallas, the MetLife Stadium, um, also also Gillette. Um, I don't know. And and sorry. Um, to leave out, not to leave out the Azteca because apparently reading about the stadium is one of the most um, greatest experiences ever. You could hear the ground shaking when they are celebrating. That's how yes. great it is. And um, I don't know, do you have any idea of where the key knockout games will be played in these stadiums? Because it looks like these these stadiums I mentioned have like a very great feel in terms of fan atmosphere and actually adds up and gives a very great experience to football. So do are there any rumors about where the final is going to be played, where the pivotal um the pivotal matches um, in the knockout stages are going to be played? Thank you, Justin. Thank you for that. Um from what I know, that's not that's not going to be decided until next year. Because every now that they've picked the CDs, everybody of course you're going to be hearing and seeing a lot of lobbying behind the scenes. People just waiting for semi-final, quarter-final, 
second round group matches. But what's going to happen, I can tell you, is that Azteca, which, which in itself is a legendary stadium, I will not be surprised if they get the opening match or semi-final place. I would not be surprised a semi-final or third place match, something along those lines. And in all those other stadiums you mentioned, being that the U.S. is very big, so what they're going to do with this World Cup, that they're going to cluster a lot of teams, which means, like, similar to what they did in World Cup 94, like, for example, Italy was based in the New York, New Jersey area. Apart from one match they, they, they went to play with Mexico in their last group match, they pretty much played all their matches at the Netherlands which was what it was called at that time. Nigeria, for example, we played our first match in Dallas, cutting ball against Bulgaria. Then we played the rest of our matches in Boston before we lost to Italy. Brazil was based in the California area, apart from them flying to Detroit to play Sweden and Dallas when they played Holland. So, but they, so they're going to go with the same format of keeping teams in a certain area. And another thing also, too, is that in the New York, New Jersey area, you have a large immigrant, immigrant population of, of course, Africans, Irish, Italians. That was one of the factors they used in 94 when they had the Ireland-Italian uh, team in the tri-state area, Brazil, in the West, everything. So they're going to look into that. Of course, with 48 teams, that was, uh, what, 48 teams. It's going to be a lot different and everything. So the knockout stages... It's too early to tell, too early to tell at the moment and everything. But from past experience, you can have an idea where they're going to keep certain teams. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Anytime. Thank you, Justin, for that brilliant uh, question. And uh, thank you, Benga, also for the brilliant submissions. And uh, we are just about wrapping up with the show. But just before we wrap up, I want to ask you, what in the history of the World Cup uh, and zeroing down to that games, that, those games that was played in 1994, what game was for you your most memorable game and what should fans expect in 2026? Um, of course, my memorable game was watching Nigeria-Argentina, our second match in Boston at the Gillette Stadium, which was called Foxborough at that time. And just seeing the field, the atmosphere, the Argentinian fans, the Nigerian fans, even though we scored first, and Kanijia, uh, Maradona, uh, Kanijia scored two goals back. And you know that match was Maradona's last match internationally. He never played for Argentina again. That was uh, Maradona's last match was against Nigeria when Tifa found out that he had used some drugs or so when they tested him for drug use. So he never played for Argentina again. So that was an electric atmosphere for me. Uh, just the experience, the journey, getting to Boston, the fans, the dancing. The game was on a Saturday too. It's uh, it was just one of those priceless moments that you just. I mean, it's what 25, 26 years later. I still remember it like it was like yesterday. This is a wonderful memory that never leaves you, that stays with you forever. That is something you have to cherish for a very long time and pretty much for the rest of your life. And the fans coming in with an expanded format of 48 teams and everything, the World Cup is just going to be an everlasting, memorable experience. Just even after it ends, you'll still be dreaming about it, you'll still be playing it out, and everything. You never stop. I still remember World Cup 94 like yesterday, so I can imagine when 2026 comes around. So if you had to describe your World Cup experience in one word, what would that be? Uh, breathtaking. 
out of this world. <laughs> and uh, yet another breathtaking World Cup that is expected to take place in the next 155 days is the first World Cup in the Middle East, and it is the World Cup in Qatar. What are your expectations, um, your general expectations so far uh, for Qatar as a host nation? Um, it's, it's very, it's possible it's going to be a historic moment just for the World Cup to be in the Middle East because the Middle East has never hosted the World Cup apart from the U tournaments, you understand? Saudi Arabia hosted the under-20 in 1989. Qatar hosted the under-20 in 1995. United Arab Emirates. So it's a historic moment. And the FIFA Club walked up too. So this is special. And it's going to pretty much transform an entire region, an entire continent, an entire moment for people in terms of what the game means and everything. So I'm looking forward to it. And also to looking forward to the African teams doing very well. And uh, I know, but it's going to be very special. It's going to be very special, Walker. Yes. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you, Mr. Benga, on the show. And we believe and hope this will be the first of many appearances uh, on the show. And I want to express our sincere gratitude for making time out of your very busy schedules to join us for this very special episode dedicated to the 2026 World Cup host cities in Canada, Mexico and the USA. And uh, on this note, we will wrap up with today's episode. And uh, I will leave you with the official soundtrack for the FIFA World Cup 2022, which says, higher, higher, better, together. United, we stand. Divided, we fall. Together, let's remain in love, in unity, and in peace. This is a message to all my cherished audience across the multiple cities of the world, wherever you tune in to enjoy the FIFA World Cup show. And don't forget to tell a friend, to tell a friend, to subscribe to the FIFA World Cup show on Calling, on Apple Podcasts, and on Spotify. Until our next episode, keep well. It's bye for now. What can you do?